everybody. It is Trags Mike Petralia back with the first playoff episode, 2022 style or 2023 style of the Jungle Roar podcast. I welcome in old friend, uh, well, new friend. I don't know how you want to categorize yourself, Mike Nizelik uh, of Cleveland.com, covering the Cincinnati Bengals and the NFL, uh, doing a great job doing so, along with Andrew Gillis and Mohammed Ahmed uh, for Cleveland.com. Uh, Michael, welcome back. Thanks for having me back. I'm, I'm glad I got the return invite. I'm excited. Uh, your last performance was outstanding, so uh, I had you booked down and marked down right away to return. Uh, returning to the playoffs, those Cincinnati Bengals, for the first time ever, they are returning to the playoffs as repeat divisional champions, AFC North uh, divisional champions. First time in their 55-year history they have accomplished that. Hard to believe, actually. As a Cincinnati native, I grew up watching a lot of those uh, teams in the 70s and the 80s and a lot of great teams in, the, in those era. They never repeated. This team has repeated, but as we heard uh, Monday down at Paycor Stadium, Mike, uh, this team has much bigger goals ahead of them, don't they? Yeah, it's just sort of like and next, you know, that they want um they want to keep going. Uh they want to the, win the AFC, they want to get to the Super Bowl, and they want to win it. So, um this felt like a very subdued celebration I felt like in the locker room. Um you know, they bust, busted out the shirts, the hats and the cigars, but that was it. You know, really it was just sort of I think 24 hours and they were ready to move on. Um, and I think it was even, it would probably be even less if it hadn't been just an email that got it to them in the first place. You know, they felt like they had to do a little more, I think, to stick it to yes. the NFL. Um, cause, but I, I, I think they felt like, um, you know, they, th th this was theirs and they should have been here and they, they have bigger goals in mind. Like you said, sticking it to the NFL, uh, you had a nice uh, piece on cleveland.com breaking down the Joe Mixon <laughs> coin flip celebration. Um, and you termed it, and I don't think it's hyperbole, uh, one of the grandest celebrations in Bengals history. I think one of the more poignant celebrations in Bengal history, because there were a lot of people inside that organization not pleased with how the NFL handled the tie-breaking uh, procedure. It could still impact uh, well, it won't impact the Bengals now because if they get to the AFC championship, it won't be a neutral uh, site uh, in terms of Kansas City. It would be at right. Kansas City. We know that. Right. Uh, but still, the whole the way the whole deal was handled uh, and keeping, I think, the team in limbo and then coming out at the end with the coin flip, they wanted to make sure that they uh, took care of that on their own. Uh, give us a little insight into what you learned about that Joe Mixon celebration. Well, yeah, Mixon, you know, kind of decided on Saturday night um, and then found <laughs> found the a shiny quarter he had left over from McDonald's or Chick-fil-A. He wasn't sure which fast food restaurant he had at. Mm -hmm. uh, but the biggest obstacle was figuring out where um, to hide it, you know, because if he thought he thought if he put it in his shoe, it might go under and then he would step on it, you know, at some point because you're not sure when you're going to score. Uh, so he took put tape inside of his glove and had it in there and it worked out perfect. I mean, he was the one to get it. Tyler Boyd got tackled on the one he punches it in and he was really proud of the uh, arc that he got on the flip. That's that was, <laughs> that was kind of like the, the proud moment he had and he didn't know if it was heads or tails. He just kicked the coin. So that was the only disappointing. I was like, was it heads or tails? Did you call it? He's like, no, no, no. But um, it was good. You know, it, it was a fun moment for them. I think, 
you know, the fans certainly enjoyed it. Um, you know, I, I think there was a lot of frustration. I think it went even beyond that, just that they went outside the rule book. And I don't, I didn't still never got, you were on the, the conference call with the NFL yeah. with um, when they sort of detailed why they did it what the downside would have been to just sticking to win percentage. I know they, they, they said, well, it's an extraordinary situation. 271 versus 272 is what Rich McKay kept repeating to me because I did ask yeah. McKay exactly that question. Let me get it straight, Rich. The win percentage was not good enough for you at and the league by you. I mean, right. you know, the NFL was not good enough for the NFL at the championship level. Uh, why, you know, again, reiterate why that was. And he went into this explanation that uh, it was never seen before that uh, two teams played 270 or two teams played, you know, 16 games or one fewer game than the standard that the rest of the uh, league would play. And in this particular case, uh, 271 games were played, not 272. There was no uh, rule book guideline uh precedent for that so they decided well let's just make it up on the fly and and try to come up with the most equitable solution yeah. <laughs> and i think when you do that michael it usually winds up backfiring badly <laughs> you already have the rule in place that was mixon's whole beef with his tweet i believe it was on thursday night yeah he, he just essentially took a picture of the rule book that says we'll Correct. go decide by win percentage and th yeah because the answer is okay uh, we get that we get in extraordinary circumstances we get this one less game but what is the down what, what who would have been negatively impacted by the win percentage i mean it would have basically been the same thing that they did except for the neutral site you know like you know i, I understand they were trying to to do that but i don't know it just felt like going beyond because like now what's the precedent? So if there's another canceled game, they have to have another convene, another special league meeting. You know, it's like, how does this go forward? Because that's how I viewed it. You know, you're, you know, heaven forbid something like this happens or it's weather or whatever it is. Sure. What, how is this a precedent? So you, like you just did, you just, you went outside and created these new rules and, you know, the timing of it, I think the Bengals were kind of irked, you know, two days before our game, you're, you're doing this. Um, and it sounded like uh, Katie Blackburn, uh, who was on the competition committee, um, made her case known. And almost, uh, you know, from Pro Football Talk Report, it was only passed by one vote. You know, they almost got it blocked and, and you know, a different method. But, um, yeah, I think the Bengals were frustrated and it's sort of built into that um, us versus everybody sort of motto that they've had all season. Uh, and, and so they're, they're using it, I think, but um, yeah, certainly, you know, they weren't, they were not happy. There was a banner and I'm sure you took note of this uh, at Paycor stadium on Sunday during the Ravens game in the middle of uh, the upper deck where there usually are. Banners. Yeah. That's a, he has a weekly banner. Yes. Yeah. Home he has game. A weekly yeah. banner yeah. up in that every Bengal fan that's been in Paycor uh, slash Paul Brown stadium knows exactly where I'm talking about. Um, and it's on the east side, middle of the upper deck. And this time the banner read, please disrespect us. <laughs> and I think that did a brilliant job of summing up what uh, a lot of the fans and a lot of what are the people, a lot of the people in the organization uh, were feeling. I want to wrap up, you know, that whole thing with just this point. There was a report out from ESPN uh, regarding the situation regarding uh, DeMar Hamlin and that um, the Bengals and Bills did not want to resume that game. And I think Zach Taylor made that very clear last week 
when he first talked about it on Wednesday that uh, the Bengals and Bills were in no way, shape, or form in a mindset to resume that game. And the NFL, uh, and I was on that midnight call on uh, Monday night, the night the game uh, was canceled, and Troy Vincent seemed adamant, like almost um, – almost too much so doth protest too much (laughs) he who doth protest too much exactly like and now comes out the report that the nfl actually kind of wanted the two teams to resume and the two teams told the nfl no way we're not resuming i had that sense monday night when troy was making that case that to do this um, I forget the the verbiage he used, but it would be disrespectful. We should never be. Well, he said that the suggestion made the reports, which are ESPN saying on the broadcast, not reports from media, were disrespectful and sort of like, you know, you know, beyond the pale, essentially. Right. And I just think that as we put this whole thing to rest and now Damar Hamlin's back in Buffalo and Zach Taylor was right on Monday a miraculous turn of events and everybody is very relieved uh for Damar Hamlin his family and the Buffalo Bills no question about that but I I just found it interesting here on Monday as we put a bow on it that uh the NFL is in again another kind of PR sauce that they cooked up themselves well I thought Joe Buck said the in that in that story you know nobody ever asked me to retract it in that 40 minutes you know, from the end, if it was not true, wouldn't they have said like you're reporting? Sure. They have an open line to the league in the during the game. And he's like, nobody said you're wrong. He said I would have immediately gone on air and said I had it wrong. You know, he's a professional. Oh, no, there's he's, no question he would. And so you know I, that that was sort of how that piece ended, and it's sort of like hung, you know, heavy that if the NFL had said, you know, like look, it, it's obvious. You know, yeah, Mike, you and I both know we've been around football long enough to know, and I was around Deflate Gate, uh, obviously, and I thought that was a ridiculous story. The PR optics of the National Football League are not always the best. They don't always handle situations like this in terms of their messaging. I'm not saying there's anything they could have done any better um, to support the family uh, of DeMar Hamlin and DeMar himself. I'm not saying that whatsoever. This is about how the story gets presented to the public and what really happened. Well, they're just scared to, they're scared to say it was a mess, right? Like nobody knew what was going on because it was an unprecedented situation and they want to act like it was like, well, we stepped in and everything was under control. No, nobody knew what was happening. Sean McDermott was out, you know, like thinking about so much other stuff and, you know, it was it was a little messy and they just don't want to say, like, it took us a minute to figure out what we were doing. The most straightforward thing that Troy Vincent said in that conference call, Mike, was it was very fluid. It was chaotic. Yeah. Nobody yeah. holds that against the National Football League simply because of what everybody could see in the stadium and on television, the national uh, television audience. Everybody knew it was chaotic and just holding their breath. Okay. Sunday, Bengals win 27-16. They finished 12-4 and for the fourth time in franchise history. There is concern going into the playoffs about the Bengals' offense. I take the tack that, and I think we got this from Brian Callahan, Bengals' offensive coordinator on Monday. I don't think they were showing a lot of what their offense is going to be in the playoff game. I think it's going to be vastly different. I think Joe Burrow is going to be a different quarterback. He looked 
almost tentative. His throws, he wasn't finishing his throws on Sunday in that win. Uh, it just looked like a different Joe Burrow, almost as if, Mike, and I don't know if you agree with this, almost as if Burrow knew going into that game, we're not going to show everything. I am not going to have the same options available to me uh, that I will in a playoff game. So I'm going to kind of hold back. And it just kind of had that sense all afternoon long. It con- Yes, but I wonder if they regret that a little bit because like, I feel like if they had spent like five more minutes, like in one more touchdown, they could have been away done. Right. And I think it really ended up being costly that the starting offensive line was on the field in that final minutes, like Alex Kappa getting injured midway through because they needed to kind of finish it because as, as strange as Baltimore's strategy was, they were still close. I mean, it was still, you know, like it w- wasn't a blowout. And so the Bengals sort of, you know, Callahan mentioned, you know, like by the second half, they just wanted the game over essentially, but they still had to kind of keep their guys in there. Um, you know, I think at halftime it became clear because they were watching the scoreboard too, um, that Buffalo, you know, pulled away. And so you really, they were just locked into that, that, that seating and, and, and really they were going to host Baltimore again. But I do wonder if they regret it a little bit that, you know, because I, I think that's going to loom large. I, I think that injury, you yeah. know, you know, they're, they're going to have their full playbook and Burrow, I think, will be a little more sharp. But, uh, man, that right side of the line could be uh, in rough shape come Sunday. All right. All right. Hakeem Adeniji has already filled in for Lael Collins, who tore his uh, left ACL. He's obviously done for the year on IR. Uh, Max Sharping has 30 NFL starts. He will be your st- almost certainly, barring yeah. a miraculous recovery by Alex Kappa and his left ankle, he will be your starting right guard. So to your point, the right side of the offensive line is going to get tested. I think Adenogy doesn't concern me that much. And I think Sharping looked, you know, and I obviously we all watched him pretty closely after Kappa went down. I think he's going to be a serviceable right guard. He's not going to be at the level Alex Kappa was, but I think this is where you have to credit Duke Tobin, director of a player personnel for the Bengals for again, this year doing an outstanding job, finding a guy like that, maybe willing to pay more than the veteran minimum to make sure that when other teams didn't pick him up on the waiver wire, the Bengals were at the end of the uh, waiver wire order and decided we want to invest in this guy just in case somebody on our offensive line goes down. And that's how they wound up with Max Sharping, your starting right guard, probably going into the playoffs. Yeah, I think the experience is important that you kind of bring a guy out of the bench and you're not he's not just, you know, uh, fresh like that. He's he's got uh quite a bit of starting experience with Houston where he was drafted. I think the issue is just, you know, how does the how does it stack up, right? They can't help the guard as much, you know, that they can do things right, to kind of support made, the tackle. Talked about that. Um uh, and and Kappa was playing really well. You know, I I think you saw the emotion in the locker room like Ted Karras was having a hard time celebrating. Cordell Volson was having a hard time celebrating. Like it hit them pretty hard. And I think they know what Kappa was doing for them. And, you know, he was helping uh, Ted with a lot of the the center responsibilities. You know, he said he could, Kappa deserves 60% of the praise that he usually gets. Um, But, you know, and I think it's just a tough injury to sort of turn around. You know, that Ravens team, I thought they were waving the white flag. I don't think the defensive line got the memo out last Sunday. They were the reason I thought that game was as close as it was in the first half because they were, you know, Burrow 
made some plays with his feet to really prevent that game from, you know, not you know, from getting that 17, nothing lead. But I thought the Ravens front was playing really well. Yep. And now you throw in another injury. Uh, it could be dicey, but they, they made it through what their whole playoff run last year with, with two, two replacements on the, on the offensive front as well. So yep. it's not uncharted territory, but I, it's not where I, you know, it's not ideal obviously and not where they wanted to be. No. Um, but Teams go through this on their way to trying to win a Super Bowl. There are going to be bumps in the road like this. Uh, and if you know one thing about this 2022-23 Bengals team, uh, they can handle adversity. They already lost Cheeto Awuzier, um, you know, on Halloween and haven't lost since, obviously. They went 3-1 and one without Jamar Chase. Um, they fared reasonably well without DJ reader. I thought actually DJ reader, the loss of DJ reader was the most impactful up to this point um, injury loss that they have had all year. The most notable noticeable loss when you take the, 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 the yeah, the play downgrade on the defensive line was no right. more noticeable than anywhere else has been when somebody has been out. Yeah. I think right. that's fair. Yeah. Yes. And I think, you know, they went through losing reader. They went through losing Jamar for four games. Um, to an uncertain hip injury, let's face it. And they went through uh, the loss of Cheeto Awuzie. Now they've had to deal with uh, losing L. Collins again to a freak injury, but to a torn ACL, he's gone. And we're going to see how they respond with Alex Kappa. Is it ideal? Obviously not. But for everybody to say, well, the Bengal, you know, Burrow is going to get killed now, I think that's jumping the gun a little bit. Well, I think it was just that the idea, the, the weakness of this team in the playoffs last year, and at times during the regular season was their offensive line. They spent all that money. Now two, two, two fourths of what they, they, they invested in are out, you know, and I think that's the, and they were playing, you know, I think one of the reasons they went on the eight game win streak was that offensive line really got things together. I mean, they really struggled through that first four weeks. I, I, you know, <laughs> Zach Taylor was like, well, they didn't struggle that much, but I mean, I, we were all saw what we saw. Right. Um, and they, they did not have any chemistry. You know, it took them a while to build that. And I think they got to that and they point didn't have where they training were... camp for all intents right. and purposes. Yeah. They didn't play in training. I mean, uh, preseason, excuse Essentially me. the first six weeks of the season where they're training camp. And then they, then they were really, really good. So I think that's just the, the, um, unfortunate part for them is that they invested so much in the offensive line. And now two of those key pieces, uh, won't be there for that. So they, you know, trying to get to the Super Bowl. All right. I thought what Von Bell we're talking, by the way, with Mike Nizelik of cleveland.com doing a wonderful job of uh, covering the Bengals for cleveland.com along with Andrew Gillis and uh, Mohammed Ahmad. He is also a blazing personality on the Strictly Stripes podcast, where you can also download that at cleveland.com and wherever you download your favorite podcast. Um, Von Bell talked about maximizing the moment. And I thought that was interesting on Monday when both he and Zach Taylor talked about it. And don't take any week for granted. Uh, and not that this team would, not that NFL teams take the playoffs for granted. But I just thought that the messaging of maximizing every opportunity you get has really hit home with this team. And that message started in training camp. Well, and they've for you know for the defense, they've forced what eight turnovers in the last or you know nine turnovers in the last three games or something like that. And so, I mean, that's almost half of what they've had all season. I mean, they've really um took that message uh to heart. And so, um, yeah, I think the defense and, and I, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know if 
part of it, I think, is some of these pieces on the defense are going to be gone next year. It feels yep. like that, then they sort of recognize that um, this is sort of maybe a last run as the defense is currently constructed, um, and maybe that's a little more vote motivation. You know, I know they don't get into some of that, but it feels like that on the defensive side of the ball a little bit that they realize, you know, because I, I think they've called it kind of a brotherhood, especially in that secondary where Jesse Bates, you know, uh, Eli Apple, our guys that might not be here next year. Bates, um, and so Apple, I, Bell, yeah. and Pratt are the four guys to me that stick out on a defense, who all of whom could not be, may yeah. not be here next year. And so I think that is a... I, I, I feel like I do get a sense that that's sort of pushing them a little bit that, you know, beyond just the normal, like, yes, yes, they want to win the Super Bowl, but uh, th this group has really come together um, and what they've been through kind of the last three years as, as that core group together. Um, I think that that is on their mind. Um, the window is my whole career, said Joe Burrow after yeah. the 27-16 uh, uh, win over Baltimore. And you also wrote about that on Cleveland.com. What did you make of those comments from uh, the franchise quarterback? I think there's going to be shirts, like I said, I think in that story that, you know, him in a window or something like that with the AFC rivals. Like, I, I think it's a good quote. It's one of the better quotes from Burrow. You know, he's normally he's had two of his best co press conference of like the year uh back to back you know he was really eloquent with about demar's situation and handled that moment i thought uh as like a, 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 you know really really impressive and then you know after the playoff game uh yeah i felt like he like let that one slip but i, I you know i think it's true i mean look uh, he's got confidence in himself uh he's got and i think that you know He's proven in college and now in the pros that uh, he's a pretty good quarterback. So I, I don't think it's like outlandish. You know, I, I think he's like, he goes as this team goes. And and I don't think it was said sort of like, I'm carrying this team. I think he said, you know, basically like if they surround me with this level of talent, you know, this organization keeps doing what they're doing and I do what I'm doing, you know, that, that that's true. We're going to be a championship level team. Yeah. And I think that is one of the more encouraging things that any Bengal fan could want to hear is that their best player is confident in the way the team in the direction that the team is heading. How right. many, well, you may not have been around here, Mike, but you're certainly aware of the Bengal aura around the national football league. And it was not a good one for decades yeah. uh, in the nineties uh, and up until 2000, uh, 2003, when Marvin Lewis arrived, it started to change quite a bit, but even after that winning in, in the mid 2000s and the, even the five straight playoff appearances, the Bengals hadn't won a playoff game. They were 0 and 7. Everybody knows the story that last year they won a playoff game for the first time in 32 years, blah, blah, blah. But to change the culture, one, it just shows you that one player and the work of the front office, namely, we've already talked about him, Duke Tobin, adding the right pieces can change the the perception of the franchise both inside the franchise and externally well i think the juxtaposition is is aaron Rodgers, right he, he spent the last decade expressing his frustration with the, the management right. of not drafting offensive talent not uh maximizing his window and he sort of then said you know maybe i should go elsewhere because you guys can't do this and it's caused sort of drama and i think they've underperformed because of that he he hasn't at, at time I mean, he's mvp just what last year but um I, I think that's sort of the the uh comparison you don't want your franchise player to feel that way and then have to feel like you know i have to go somewhere else 
to sort of um, be put in a better spot. And so I think that's sort of the comparison I would make that he feels the complete opposite. He's, he feels good about the direction of this franchise and it's a good timing because he's going to get some money here in a, in a short order. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think that they're all sort of in lockstep and I think to the coaching staff, uh, I mean, you, you see how they've sort of supported him and I think they've really, um, I get the sense that their approach to coaching him is to sort of build him up and, you know, keep making, keep moving forward and making him feel like empowered in the offense and yep. a part of the decision-making and part of the, you know, game planning. And so I think it's all, you know, they're building this to keep him happy, <laughs> to keep him they successful. Should. Yeah. And, I, mean, that much. I know he's young. I get it. He's 26. Yeah. He's been in the organization now three, three years, but yeah. Nobody has put himself out there more than Joe Burrow and worked hard enough and and produced the results that Joe Burrow has. Yeah, I mean the results speak for themselves, right? On the on the precipice here of another playoff run and you know make a Super Bowl. So I don't think they're wrong. I mean I think they've done everything. You know that they've built a machine here now that could be. You know they they said on uh, Sunday this is the standard. You know AFC North Division Champions. That's the standard. That's the minimum. And so I think they've built a built it to 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 make that come true. It certainly feels like to me, Mike, that the Bengals take care of business against a Baltimore team. Great defense, but a team by all rights, I think the Bengals should win at home in the playoffs. Great quarterback, as we've mentioned, uh, Joe Burrow, Lamar Jackson may or may not play. Stay tuned on that all week long, obviously. And Buffalo's going to beat Miami. I see almost no way, almost like I saw no way for New England to go in to uh, Orchard Park and beat the Bills uh, this past Sunday, and they didn't, thanks to two um, amazing kickoff returns. I saw no way for the Patriots to win. I really see no way for the Dolphins to win this week in Orchard Park. It certainly does feel like it's going to be Bengals at Bills in the divisional round, doesn't it? Yeah, and that will be a crazy, I mean, a lot. (laughs) All eyes will be on that game. Um, But it does, you know, I think – the the Lamar Jackson thing, I just we I think we've talked about this. I you can't I can't see him playing, you know. And, and that's I I just without that him, it just doesn't feel like they have the sort of offensive firepower to sort no. of match up. It, it's not a good matchup for them without Lamar Jackson. No, and I just don't see him playing. You don't either, right? No, I, I mean, what six weeks now, no practice and all sorts of weird, you know, back and forth with him and Harbaugh and the media, and it just seems like <laughs> they can't I almost the think like. Sunday was that badge of honor game for Harbaugh. We almost pulled it out without you against all of Cincinnati's starters. And we're just going to ride this horse and, and take it as far as we can take it. And if it's not good enough, it's not good enough. That is kind of the John Harbaugh mentality. Yeah, I mean, they're at a disadvantage. And, uh, you know, I don't think it'll be Anthony Brown. I mean, I think it'll be Huntley. But, um, you know, still, I, they might, you know, say try to say Lamar, you know, his possibility. I just don't. I can't. I can't. What did uh, uh, Zach Taylor say on uh, Wednesday? We have, or on Monday, we have to prepare for the best player that would run their offense. And to me, I think that means Lamar that they. Yeah, but remember what Lou said last week when he's like, "We're not playing Lamar." He didn't say we're not playing Lamar. He's like, "But I mean, I, you know, he's he sort of." I don't know. I think I, it'll do. I mean, if he if he's on the practice field what, today or tomorrow. You know, maybe you kind of start doing that, but I, if he's not practicing, I don't think you have to spend much time. Oh, no, 
I would agree with that. Well, he is Mike Nislik, does a great job covering the Cincinnati Bengals for Cleveland.com. Catch him on the Strictly Stripes podcast, also on Cleveland.com and wherever you download your favorite uh, podcasts. Uh, Michael, how can people follow you on Twitter? Yeah, at Michael Nizelik, uh would be great. Uh, yeah, I'd love, love to get some more Bengals fans on there for sure. Yeah, let's get it done. Bengal Nation and let's get it done. Who day nation? Everybody following the Jungle Roar podcast. Uh give my man Michael here uh a follow on Twitter. Um also follow him on Twitter for the upcoming uh NFL playoffs and uh, the Bengal playoffs that are going to be a starting Sunday night. By the way, let me get your quick read, Mike, on the idea of a Sunday night game, 815 uh at Paycor Stadium. Uh, I think the atmosphere will be good, especially with the Ravens. I think the fans were really not thrilled with how they, some of the extracurricular stuff, and uh, I think they'll be sort of fired up. In terms of media, uh, you know, eight, the primetime games are less than ideal. But um, for fans, fans get all day. You know, they... they, they get lubed up, as Tom Brady once said. Yeah, they'll they'll be ready. Um, uh, oh, one question I wanted to ask you. Yes, go ahead. Yeah, um, since, since I'm on, I'll take advantage. So Ted Karras said, uh, you know, they were smoking cigars in the uh, locker room, a celebration. And he said Bill Belichick didn't allow cigars at all. No, he didn't. That's not. amazing. Like that to me, that's like. So here's <laughs> why. And real simple. He did not want players soaking up, uh, being reminded by by that scent in that locker room long term that they just won a division because the division is not the end goal but and he did that, he said they didn't allow cigars at all was it c- cigars at all because he didn't yeah, like I, cigars i well that's probably just a personal choice i know that um having been around bill he wanted no celebrations that would literally hang over the team and remind the team that you know that they had just won a division that's not the end goal i just i i guess i like the idea of like i don't he didn't like cigar smoke so he's just like no cigar celebration yeah and i and i believe that too because bill spent a lot of time walking in and around that locker room even when we were there uh the media were in the locker room bill would walk through quite a bit and really okay and uh, this won't surprise you. He very rarely wore a smile when he walked through the room. <laughs> no, but there. I just thought it was awesome. Like, I am going to control every aspect. Like, I am going to dictate the celeb- how the celebrations unfold. Like, that's just to me is like the ultimate, like, he's in the weeds, man. Like, and like, I, it just that that was. Controlling that this- every aspect of that organization. And it looks like um he'll be doing so for a 24th season in 2023 but ted could save the cigar i think he's waiting i think it i think it rubbed off on him he he didn't smoke it he so like ted saved it so maybe he's saving it for after like the super bowl or afc but like he could you know maybe growing up in the bill or, or organization he just like couldn't bring himself to I, I would be surprised it. mike that bill would not allow a victory cigar in an opposing locker room like after an AFC championship that I, I would be surprised Maybe by have to get clarification. We'll see how, 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 we'll see how far the rule extended. Yeah. We'll <laughs> have to find that out. Um, certainly I think um, it's going to be another interesting playoff run, by the way, a cigar, obviously we all know the story of Joe Burrow and the um, national championship, the uh, 
college football playoff championship, won again by Georgia in an embarrassingly huge route over TCU, 65-7 to uh, Monday night. Joe Burrow's cigar celebration was again mentioned during the ESPN broadcast. Did you hear that? I had the sound about but when it got up to like 40, I just was like, I'm not going to listen to yeah, anyone else to talk about, Mike. <laughs> well, were, I'm sure they were talking. They were trying to find stories. Joe's explanation of that was uh, he, <laughs> that was that was more Joe Burrow like than his uh, the windows open through my like, how was your cigar? So it was good. It was good. I had a good time. Joe Burrow, you know, this is a vibe. And I, for, <laughs> I forgot. the. I think it was Hayden Hurst who said it. Because that sounds like a Hayden Hurst description of another NFL player. Joe Burrow is a vibe. And I think <laughs> truer words this year were, were never spoken. Anyway, he's Mike Nizelik. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael Nizelik, all one word. Follow his work on cleveland.com and the Strictly Stripes podcast. For Mike Nizelik, I'm Mike Petralia. Trags. Thanks for tuning in this episode of the Jungle Roar podcast. Be sure and click on the link below and subscribe and download wherever you download your favorite podcasts. Thank you again for watching. We'll talk to you next week.